0: So I don't want to paint an overly rosy picture of my family. I am biased a little bit. I think I've got a great family, great wife, great kids. Like we really do have a lot of fun together. And I would say for the most part, and you do need to put this in context, my kids, three kids all under the age of nine. So those of you with teenagers and older, you're like, oh, just you wait. I'm very aware of that. I know what I was like to my mom and dad. So I know it's going to come back one of these days. But at least right now in this season, we're a pretty together family. For the most part, not perfect. Like I said, I don't want to oversell it here. But for the most part, we're pretty unified in a lot of things. We like a lot of the same things. We like to go to the same things. Last night was a great example as the Bengals won. Yes! I promised myself I would only say it one time today. I got it out of my system. I feel better. But as we were watching the game, it was just so cool watching me and my wife, Becky, and then Connor, Cole, Collins, even Cooper, the dog, was all excited watching this game last night. So it was just a really cool picture of our family. I'm like, man, like this is great. We love being together. And I say that because we really do put a lot of emphasis on the unity of our family. But I've discovered something. As strong as I would like to think the unity of our families, I've discovered one question that totally wreaks havoc in our family. This one question shakes the very foundation of our family. This one question will take what I think is a unified, strong, healthy family and turn it into World War III within our family. Here's the one question. And you would think I would learn this over time. Like, don't ask the question. Don't ask the question. But it always unintentionally comes out. At some point towards the end of the day, I'll ask this question of my family because we've been having such a great day together. We've been having so much fun together and I know we love each other so much. So I'll look at my lovely family and say, what do you guys wanna do for dinner tonight? And that one question ruins everything. All of a sudden it's one kid, well, I wanna go to Taco Bell. And I'm like, <laughs> You can't even say that word in my house. They love, so then one kid wants to go to No, no, no. I want McDonald's. No, no. I want Chick-fil-A. And, and everybody's got a different opinion. I'm like, I just want to stay home. And Becky's like, well, I don't want to cook. And so all of a sudden now it's just everyone has an opinion. And this lovely, nice, unified family is now broken and in shambles. All because of that one question. And that one question is such a problem for our family because everybody has a preference. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants something different and no one will budge. Not a one of us will budge. I am sadly, sadly, I I will admit this in in, in full transparency here. There have been numerous occasions where we can't resolve it, but I'm like, well, the choice is either don't eat or we're all gonna go to different places. And we've done that before. Thinking, like, I don't want to fight over this anymore. So, you know what? You pick a place and you pick a place and you pick a place. And then we're never going to ask that question again. And then I end up asking it again. That one question that nobody will budge on. No one is willing to say, you know what? I will do what you want to do because I love you. I haven't heard that yet, especially with my kids. <laughs> Becky gives up a ton for our family. But I have yet to hear one of my kids say, you know what, man, I was just really dead set on Taco Bell, but I love all of you and I'm going to act selflessly and I'm going to give sacrificially. So you know what, Father, you may choose what we do for dinner tonight. (laughs) It's not happened. And I keep waiting for it to happen and I'm pretty sure it's never going to happen. So here's the problem with unity, right? We're going to talk a lot about unity today. The whole problem with unity is you, That's the problem with unity, isn't it? I could point the finger at me as well, because you have your preferences. You have your opinions. I have my wants. I have my desires. We have our needs, and we don't want to let go of those. Even when somebody else's is different than ours, we we hold so tightly. So therefore, unity, the problem is, is you, it's me. We're not willing to let go of certain things. In John chapter 17, you don't have to turn there. Uh, We're going to be in Philippians today. Uh, But in John 17, we get such incredible insight into a priority of Jesus. So if you know any of the context, and you can kind of study that later, this is right before Jesus is to be arrested and then soon crucified. And right before that, there's, I'm sure you know, the whole famous garden prayer moment, all of those things. And one of the things that he prays for is pretty fascinating. I'm not gonna read the whole prayer. I'm gonna read just two sentences out of it, a couple verses here, but see if you can pick up on what was so important to Jesus that he prayed this literally in his final moments. John 17, verse 20. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, meaning his original disciples. I'm not just praying for them, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So that includes us, does it not? For all who will believe the message, that's us. He goes on, Jesus says, I pray that they will all be, what's the word? One. One. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And Jesus's sort of final words, he prays for us to be unified together to be united, to be one with one another. He's talking about believers specifically. That if you call Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, then he's praying that you would be united and unified with other people that make that same claim and believe the same. And it's so important to Jesus that he points out, like this is one of the ways that people will believe this message. Is our unity in Jesus, our unity in God, but then also our unity in one another. He says, so that the world will believe you sent me. See, our love, you can go back a few other chapters and Jesus says something very similar, but focuses on love. He says, you know how people will know that you're my disciples by your, do you know? By your love. If you love one another, people will believe or you will prove to others that you are my disciples. So it's by our love for one another and our unity in God and our unity with one another that makes what we believe believable. So he spends some of his his final breaths and his final words praying that we would be one that we as future believers would be united and unified in one another as we are unified in him. That importance and that priority around unity then moves into the early church. And we're going through the book of Philippians. We'll be in Philippians chapter two today. So if you got your Bibles, be there. If you don't have a Bible, I've got a stack of them out in the lobby right next to where the coffee's at. Make sure you grab one, write your name in it, bring it with you, use it during the week so we can study together. But Philippians is, is... Paul really taking some of these Jesus principles and Jesus concepts and helping people understand them in the context of the the early church. We talked a lot two weeks ago, before snow day, about the community and the the fellowship of believers and how important that community is. And so what Paul's going to do next is he talks about, yes, the importance of that community, but he leans in and says, it's not just the community. It's not just the gathering. It's No, it's the unity that we have with God and with one another. So you're going to see that word not necessarily pop up, but you're going to see themes of unity for what Paul begins to talk about. And here's what I would encourage you as we go through this. There is probably an area of your life that feels divided, that feels where you would say, the definition of unity does not describe this relationship or this area of my life. Now, I don't wanna pull what Paul's saying out of context. Paul's being very specific. This is to the early church of Philippi. He's talking to the early church. He does the same thing with many other churches. We'll look at one in Ephesus where unity is a big deal. Unity with one another as a body of believers, what we would call the church. But I would even say, yes, of course it applies there. It most certainly also applies in your marriage and with your family and where you work and where you live. So yes, let's be unified within the church. And there's plenty that Paul talks about there. But would you allow the Holy Spirit to even guide you and say, okay, now where else do I need to be unified? What other relationships feel very divided right now? And what would my part be in uniting them again? That I hope is what begins to move around in your head as well as in your heart. So let's look at this. Technically, we're going to start in chapter one. We're going to pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago, and we'll see how that ties in. Philippians chapter one, verse 27, Paul says this, above all, You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Now that's talking very individualistic. As a person, as an individual who claims Jesus as Lord and Savior, who believes in God and his son, Jesus Christ, if that's you, then we are called to live in a way that thanks him. That everything we do, think, say, how we interact with one another, we live as, as he puts it, as citizens of heaven. So everything about how we live our lives and how we think through and the perspectives we have should be lived in a way that is pointing people to Jesus and living as a way that is basically saying, Jesus, thank you. That's how we live our life as an individual. But then he ties in the community piece of it too. Notice the unity. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together together for the faith, which is the good news. So this idea of not just having faith, but growing in our faith and living out our faith. Yes, most certainly that is an individual choice that you have to make. No one can make that for you. You choose, but don't miss that we are called to live that faith out and grow in that faith, not in isolation as an individual, but with and in community. That's why what we do on Sundays is so important. That we grow together, that we learn together, that we pray together, that we worship together, that we have one another's backs, that we are with one another. He uses this word together, lot, And again, together, one spirit, one purpose, fighting together in the faith, which is the good news. That's what we're hoping to have. Growing in our faith, but also living out our faith individually, but also within community. That's in the good times and most certainly in the bad times. If you keep reading, he actually talks more about the bad times and the sufferings and the struggles. Then he gets to chapter two, and this is one run-on thought. So even though chapter one, chapter two, it's still the same thought. Chapter two, verse one, he asks some rhetorical questions. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Those rhetorical questions speak to Basically saying, isn't it great being part of the family of God? That's basically what he's saying. Even, even in the hard times, isn't it great having people around you that can help you and spur you on and encourage you even in the times of struggle and suffering? Isn't it awesome to be part of the community of Christ? And again, I say rhetorical because anybody reading this would be like, yes, it's absolutely awesome. Even in the to- hard times, yes, it's wonderful. So then he follows it up with verse two. So then here's what I want you to do with it. Then... If you really love the family of believers, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose and not fighting over where you go to dinner. So, I added the last part, but my kids don't know I added that part yet. Now he's saying, that's great. We are together. We live out our faith. We grow in our faith. Yes, individually, but also in the context of a body of believers to be unified around God and loving one another. He says, and isn't it great? And if you think it's so great, and if you are loving the joy that comes from being part of this community, well, then here's how you protect it. Here's how you keep fighting for it. You agree wholeheartedly with each other. You love one another. You work together with one mind and one purpose. Like you have to do those things. See, don't miss it. Unity is great, oh, but it can disappear so quickly. Unity can be strong, but it doesn't take much to fracture it. So he's saying, protect that unity. Hold on to that unity. Fight for that unity because you need one another. Some of you just need to hear this. Like, Sunday morning is part of your routine. Maybe maybe you just showed up because like, Man, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Maybe you were we dragged here, talked into coming here. Whatever the reason is, let me boil it down to at least one piece of why you should be here. Not the only reason, but one of them. It's because we need you and you need us. We need one another. We have to have one another. Like I said, to pray with each other, to be there for one another, to support one another, to encourage and challenge one another. That blue card that I talk about quite a bit, if you're here each week, there's a space in there for you to pr- write a prayer request. Like, hey, what can we be praying for? Like, it's not just go through it alone. Like, let's do that together. So myself and our staff and some, some other great volunteers, they pray for those by name and individually. And if you give us your name and email or a phone number, we'll probably reach out to you and say, hey, I saw this on your prayer request card. Just wanted you to know I'm praying for you right now. Is there anything else you need? Like, that'll happen. And so we had a chance to do that this last week. Individual put her prayer request. We said, hey, we're praying for you. Anything else? And I just want to read. I got got her permission because I was like, man, what you said is what I'm preaching on. (laughs) I was like, it was perfect. I did not feed her these words. She just wrote back and you could hear the gratitude of being part of a community that truly loves one another. Here's what Jessica texted back after we said we're praying for you. Here's what she said. It's wonderful to have such an amazing church community that loves you like family no matter what. And I'm like, are you at Panera right now? Like watching me write my message. Like, did you, did you know what we're talking about and the value of community and the importance of having one another? Like, that's what we should have. And so then I hear Paul pleading like, but fight for that. No matter what, I would say, no matter what, protect the unity. That's why Paul is saying these things. Then make me happy, protect the unity by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, other, loving one another, working together, like protect the unity, protect the unity. We are unified because of our belief in Jesus. Like we are unified around him, but we protect the unity by how we treat one another. Because you can be, you can have the same beliefs as somebody else and y'all can hate each other. I love God, but hate that person. <laughs> that happens. That's why nobody laughed when I said that. <laughs> It'd be like this, right? So we protect the unity by loving God, yes, but also by loving his kids. That's one another. It'd be like if one of you came up to me, and this has happened before, and this is great. You come up, I was like, Brian, man, your kids are just amazing. And I'm like, really? Have you seen us in our last dinner conversation? <laughs> No, they're great. No, no, they'll say, Brian, you don't understand. Like, I saw your kids do this, whether it was even somebody at school or somebody here at the church or a neighbor. Like, I man, you really do have great kids and they helped out in this way. And when you give compliments to me about my kids, I'm like, oh, you're the best person ever. What do you need? What do you want? I'll do it. I'll say yes to anything. Right, you, you know that feeling, parents. When somebody compliments your kids to you, when they love your kids and tell you about it, oh, it's one of the greatest things in the world. Now let's talk about the reverse for a second. What if you came to me and said, Brian, I think you are awesome. Your wife is awesome. You guys are such a great couple. We love the church, but can we talk about your kids for a second? Like they're terrible. They are horrible kids. We would love to hang out and we would love to be around you guys, but we can't stand to be around your kids. So can we hang out sometime and just can you make sure the kids are not at home? Like I'd be like, oh, those are fighting words. Like we're not okay anymore. At that point, I don't care what you think about me because of all I can think about is what you said about my kids. So what Paul is getting across here is like, that's great that you profess Jesus as Lord, King, and Savior. It's great that you love him. Yes, start there. But we cannot love God and then dishonor his kids. We cannot love God and then disrespect his kids. We cannot love God and then not at least fight for unity with his family. That's what he's trying to get across. No matter what, protect the unity. And then he goes on and he keeps giving more ways. He gets more specific on how to do just that, how to have unity and how to protect it. Verse three, so don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Do not look out, do not look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. All of that is revolving around the one statement, be humble. All of that has to do with humility. It's the very definition of being humble. He said, if you really want to protect the unity, if you really want to love God and love others, this is really where you start. Choose to be humble. I would say no matter what, choose to be humble because he doesn't give a disclaimer of here of like, well, sometimes <laughs> only when they agree with you, only when things are fine. No, he's like, be humble. Choose to be humble. Now, sometimes we take the idea of humility and we take it in a, in a different direction. Notice that it has Paul's definition here is he explains it. He says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So sometimes we think humility is completely neglecting ourselves. And that's not true. We take an interest in ourselves, but we also take an interest in others too, is what Paul's saying. You might've heard this before. Where that humility is not thinking less of yourself of, oh, I'm not good, and I'm terrible, and I, like, that's a false humility. That's not the humility that, that Jesus talks about, Jesus displays, or that Paul is talking about here. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. So you're taking an interest in other people. You're thinking of other people and their needs, their wants, their desires. You're paying attention to what they need and what they want. You're not neglecting yourself, but you're paying attention to the interest of others. What I've, what I've noticed, at least in my own life, is you can't say, well, I'm just going to be humble, though. That's not helpful whatsoever. It's like, do better. And you're like, okay. <laughs> now, you don't know necessarily where to even start with that. So for Paul to say, well, be humble, like, you know, be humble. And everybody would say, I don't know what you mean right now. So what Paul's going to help us do is he's going to give us the perfect example. And I see this with My kids. Right, My kids, our whole family, I can't say the kids because I absolutely love it too. We're huge Dude Perfect fans. I have mentioned them before here. So shout out to Dude Perfect. And for us as a family, it really is a family thing. We love watching Dude Perfect. If you don't know, just YouTube Dude Perfect. It's great. Uh, In fact, there's a new video coming out tomorrow. We have been literally counting down in our home. It's this really cool battle that's going to happen up in the mountains. Doesn't matter. You don't care. We care. So we're super excited about this video that's coming out tomorrow and we'll have a whole like party at six o'clock when it goes live. And we watch this all the time. And I've noticed something specifically in my kids, cause we've been watching a lot of Dude Perfect for the last several years. You know what my kids do for like fun and like free time? They make Dude Perfect videos. Like, that's what they do. Please, we don't let them have a YouTube channel. They don't even have access to YouTube. It's only through me and, and Becky. But they'll go around with either our phones or an iPad, and they'll make a Dude Perfect video and pretend to upload it to YouTube, which is putting it, airplane air it to the TV, and we all watch it. So they love making these at-home Haas family Dude Perfect videos that we just see. But it all came from them watching the real Dude Perfect. And now they're mimicking and now they're following suit, which in that case, we're totally okay with. They're great guys. But here's what Paul does for us. He said, if you really wanna be humble, you can't just say be humble. If you wanna be humble, you gotta look at a great example. So he gives us the perfect example of humility. Here it is, verse five. So you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Paul's like, You want to have unity with one another? You want to grow in your own personal humility? Here's the picture. Here's the example. Here's who we follow in humility. The example of Jesus, the perfect example of humility. I don't want you to miss what we just read because there's a lot to that. In fact, this maybe will help out some. You start out the beginning of this passage. The beginning of the passage says, though he was God, he was the highest up. He was his, his name above all names. He's creator. He is king of kings, lord of lords, prince of peace. You go through all the names. That's Jesus' status. That's Jesus' place. And, he, and Paul says here, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God was something to cling to. So he's not just holding on to his status. He's not just holding on to his position. He's not just holding on to those names of who he can claim to be. Instead, instead of clinging on to his place, verse seven, he gave up his divine privileges. Instead of holding on to this space that he held over all things, he let go of his place and he began to give up his divine privileges. He began to step down. He took the humble position of a slave. That should ring a bell to somebody that was here two weeks ago. Do you remember the word? Ah, doulos, there it is. Doulos, that's the Greek word there. We talked about this a bunch two weeks ago. Back, go back and watch that. One. I'm not gonna give all the context here, but slave in the Greek that Paul is using here and that Jesus even used in describing his followers and other fellow believers that were fully devoted to following him. They use this word. That's the Greek word doulos, which means bond slave or bond servant, giving up all rights for that of another. And that's what Paul is describing as Jesus. He used that to describe himself in chapter one. Now he's saying, no, no, but I'm, I'm like that because Jesus was like that. Jesus I'm willingly giving up my rights. And he was born as a human being. Step down even further. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself again in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He started way up there. And don't miss why he did this. God so desired to be together with you, to be united and unified with you, that he gave up his divine privileges. He became that of doulos, a bond slave and a bondservant, to become in human likeness, to give up his rights, to continue to be humble in obedience, even if that obedience means dying a criminal's death on a cross. That is humility for the sake of unity. Because he wanted to be with you, he humbled himself in the most perfect and beautiful and horrific way. Paul and what he's asking of the early church of Philippi and what we can take away from what Paul is telling them. Paul so desired that the people of God to be united, that he's pleading and begging and urging them, please humble yourselves because that's the only way to unity. Unity cannot happen If you cling to your position and you cling to your wants and your needs and your desires, if you cling to your own interests only, you will never have unity. It requires stepping down in humility, due loss, giving up your life for the sake of Christ and through obedience. We love the idea of unity. Oh, we would love unity in our marriage. We would love unity in our family. We would love a country that's united. We would love all of this perfect picture of unity. But we don't like the cost. We love unity. But maybe not enough to pay the cost. Because the cost of unity is humility. In order for Jesus... For us to be united with God through a son, Jesus, it required Jesus to humble himself to the point of giving up his life. So let me take a side application here. Husbands, you want your family to be united? Step down, serve your family, obey the Lord, and give up your life, and you will begin to see unity in your family. Wives, you want unity in your family? I'm gonna say the exact same thing. Step down, serve your family, follow the Lord in obedience, give your life to Him, and you will begin to see unity. The cost of unity is always humility. We love the idea of humility. Again, if you're an employer, you hire people that have traits and characteristics of being humble. If you're an employee, You wanna work for a boss who is humble or has attributes of humility. Our friends, we we we're probably closest with our friends because there's aspects of humility even in those relationships. We date people that are humble. Nobody walks away from a first date saying, man, that was awesome. They talked about themselves the entire time. It was great. I learned so much about them. No, like you want people to take an interest in you as well. We're not always willing to pay the cost. To pay the price. But it doesn't end there. So, yes, the cost of unity is humility, but there's a cost of humility. The cost of humility is sacrifice. That last part that Paul uses to describe Christ's humility. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience. That's giving up in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's sacrifice. So, yes, if you truly want unity, work it backwards. I'm gonna to have to sacrifice so that I can grow in my humility so that we can find and have and protect unity. But it will always point back to sacrifice. I think one of the reasons we have a hard time with that, like stay on this trail with me for a second, especially with the sacrifice side. Is if I have to give up and I have to sacrifice, all of a sudden I start to worry about me. Will you said not to neglect me. So if I sacrifice everything, then who's going to take care of me? And if I take an interest in everybody else, well, then who's going to take an interest in me? And if I'm giving all of this, and what am I ever going to get? We start to worry about our own good. Because we'll be humble until it gets uncomfortable. We'll serve until it's inconvenient. We'll love until it's unfair, because at some point we do want to make sure that we're taken care of. And I love how God works because the very next part, look at verse nine, we're going to talk about it briefly. Therefore, this is after Paul just explained the humility of Christ. Therefore, God elevated him He elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That the very name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So as Jesus stepped down, God was going to be the one to raise him back up. As Jesus humbled himself, then God was going to be the one to raise him to a place of honor. Now we are not Jesus. But that promise holds true in the kingdom of God, whether he's talking about us or about his son, Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5, listen to this. And all of you, that includes us, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For, and he quotes an Old Testament scripture, for God opposes the, opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Keep going. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. What's the practical application of that? Verse seven, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. So if you're thinking, man, I struggle with humility because I struggle with sacrifice because I struggle with the the worries of this day of I don't know if I'm gonna be taken care of. We read it pretty plainly. Yes, humble yourself because God will lift you up. Yes, sacrifice because he'll take care of you. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he is the one that cares for you. So, two questions for you that I hope you'll wrestle with. There's probably gonna be one or the other that's gonna really resonate with you. So pick one of these and wrestle with it this week. Here's the first one: Is unity a priority or a nice idea? Again, we all love the idea of unity. We would all hope for unity in our homes and our family and our relationships but are we willing to do what it takes? If it's a priority, then your answer is yes. I will do whatever it takes. I will give up. I will sacrifice. I will grow in my humility for the sake of unity. It's more than just a nice idea. Ephesians chapter four, is Paul's talking to an early church in Ephesus, he talks a lot about this same idea. Therefore, I as a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Very similar to what we just read about being a citizen of heaven. Verse two, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves, here it is, united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there's one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Always be humble, but it has to be a priority. It just can't be a nice idea. Second question for you, am I willing to follow Jesus no matter what? Oh, that's a hard question. Because what we just looked at, following Jesus no matter what, no matter what means I'm gonna let go of me, step down willingly, claim to be due loss for Jesus, a bondservant of Christ, a slave of Christ, where I willingly give up every one of my rights to him. I continue to step down in obedience of following his way and not my way. His wants, not my wants. His desires, not my desires. Trusting he will take care of my needs, even if that's giving up everything. So that's a big question. Am I willing to follow Jesus no matter what? I'm gonna end with Jesus' words in Luke chapter nine. Then he said to the crowd, Jesus' words, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So will you follow Jesus no matter what? Will we follow his example no matter what? In just a moment, we're going to take communion together as a body of believers. This is one of the, the acts as the church where we can be reminded of our unity, that we are unified around this belief, this truth, that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, to take our sins away so that we could be made right with God, that we could once again be united with God, but it required humility and required the sacrifice of Jesus. So communion is remembering that. The cracker represents Jesus's body that was broken for us. The juice represents Jesus's blood that was poured out for us. As we get ready to take communion, if you didn't receive communion on your way in today, if you'll just raise your hand, our guest services team, they'll make sure that you get it. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to give you a moment, even though we do this together. I'm going to give you a moment between you and your Lord. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much. And for how you draw us together, how you pull us together, all because of your son, Jesus. God, thank you so much for loving us more than we can fathom. Thank you for being willing to pay the cost of that love. That it costs the humility of your son, it costs the the life of your son. So thank you so much for his sacrifice that gives us life, gives us hope. Thank you also for the promise that you raise us up when we humble ourselves. That just as you raised Christ from the dead three days later, we recognize that our home is not on this earth, that our home is with you in heaven for all of eternity. And on that day, you will raise us up as well. So in this time of communion, as a community of believers, we unite around our belief in you and our love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.